Welcome to the Teachers Who Quit podcast, the number one podcast for teachers who quit or really want to. And I'm your host, Tierney, your ex-teacher bestie. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Alyssa. I am so excited to have you on the Teachers Who Quit podcast. And to kick us off, I'd love it if you share just a little brief intro about yourself and what you're doing now. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to share my experience. Hi, everyone. My name is Alyssa, and I am a former middle school sixth grade ELA teacher who is now working in the ed tech space. So ed tech is a the perfect intersection, I would say, for teachers who love digital tools, who want to continue making an impact in education, but need a change. And specifically, I'm in the customer success space. So what that means is I am a senior customer success manager for a large ed tech company that you have probably used. Um, I don't openly share it just because I do keep that private. But um, in terms of digital tools, it is one that uh, many teachers use and you probably have used in the classroom. Um, And specifically what customer success is, is making sure that when we sell our product to, let's say, a school or a school district, there is somebody on the other end that is supporting that client, right? So thinking about the implementation process, how do we train and onboard teachers with this product? How do we align our goals to their goals? And ultimately, you know, we are a part of the sales arm. We are a part of the renewal team, right? So we have to renew the sale and uh, not just renew the customer, but there are goals that we have within our company to also expand and grow that contract. So it is a very unique role in the sense that it is client facing um, and it is a role where, you know, I get to leverage my teaching expertise every single day. Um, but also I've learned a lot of new skills in, in terms of business acumen and in the sales arena. So that's been the exciting part for me has been um, diving into an arena that I had no experience in, but uh, truly have built um, in the last three years, a lot of um, experience and I think knowledge that anyone can pick up. It is definitely something that, you know, I think any teacher could dive into, but in a nutshell, I'm a senior customer success manager, and I've been in the ed tech space for about three years now. Wow. Okay. So sixth grade ELA, what was your initial point where you were like, I want to become a teacher? Take us back to the beginning of your journey before you were an educator. What sparked that? Yeah. Um, so I got my pathway into teaching through Teach for America. And um you know, when I was an undergrad, I was, you know, a senior and I was like, okay, I don't know what I want to do yet, but I knew that teaching was a, a career that I could see myself doing. And I remember when I sat with the recruiter and, you know, she told me about the opportunities that were available in TFA. And personally, I couldn't say no, just because I am also a first generation college student. I knew, you know, how critical it was for me to have amazing teachers to get to where I was. And the the aspect of giving back to my community or just giving back to students, right, who may not have that same access and support at home was like, I felt very called to do that. And I think anyone who goes into teaching feels called to do that work, right? Because you feel like it's a bigger mission beyond yourself. It is something larger, right? That you're, you're contributing to society. And I felt like, yes, this is where I want to be. So um, that's how I got my start is that I, I joined the TFA core in um, Washington, DC. 
And I actually taught in Prince George's County, Maryland uh, for two years at a public school. It was a turnaround school. It was one of those you know, schools that were flagged as a failing school in the state and it had X amount of years to turn around their test scores or else it would have been shut down. So in terms of stakes were high, like it was high because as an ELA teacher, that is one of the tested, right? Um, you know, subjects and like all eyes are on ELA at all the time. And I'm a first year teacher thinking, what have I got myself into? But long story short, I loved it. I really loved teaching. The environment was just absolute chaos, which is what led me to move to a charter school in Brooklyn. So after the two years, I then moved to a charter school in Brooklyn. Uh, very complete opposite experience, right? So much structure, almost too much, right? And so what ultimately led me to pivoting my career was the fact that I burned myself out. And I think all teachers right now, especially in the pandemic, can relate to this, right? You are overworked, you're underpaid, unappreciated, and you were just pushed to the brink. And that was me in the charter school. I was doing so much for that school. Um, and I loved it, right? I loved it because it was like for the kids, like doing student government, starting a student council, starting event planning for the community, um, doing, you know, the parent engagement work. I did all of that on top of being an instructional coach, a grade level lead, and a sixth grade writing teacher. So I had all the hats at the school and I loved my work. I really loved it. It was the kids that kept me. It was my families that kept me. And I love my community. And but what brought me to the point where I had to prioritize myself was that I became physically and mentally very unwell. <laughs> like my body gave out. And so at the end of my sixth year of teaching, I physically actually suffered from chronic illness. And mentally, I was in a very low point. Um, and I speak openly about it, but depression, anxiety, I had to take care of myself. And it's because when you're in those environments that are so rigid, right, you are so, and everything about that charter school was controlled, right, from the, the way that students dressed, from their movements, from the way they raised their hand. And I just felt like I was a product and a robot at this school, a product that I didn't want to be. Like, I did not want to be that controlling human. But because the school culture was that, I was pushed to be that, right? And finally, at my sixth year, I said, I don't even know who I am anymore. I feel exhausted. I feel physically unwell. And I'm at a point where I cannot do this anymore. I have to prioritize myself. So that was the hardest thing because as a teacher, you give so much of yourself to your kids and your school. Saying no to that and turning your back feels like you're going against the mission. It feels like you are failing your kids, right? And I I dealt with the guilt very heavily. Um, but when it came to my health, I knew I had to take care of myself. So that's when I did a whole life change and I moved back to California, which is where I'm originally from. Spent six years on the East Coast, which, which was amazing. Um, but you know, when you're away from your family, that also takes a toll on you too. So Long story short, I said, I need a life change, move back to California. And that is where I embarked on my ed tech journey of trying to get into ed tech, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get into, but that took me almost a year of job searching to break into. So I share that openly because I also want teachers to know that it wasn't an easy journey for me. For some, it may be, but it wasn't for me. And I know a lot of people on TikTok or social media will glamorize the process of breaking into tech, but it was very, very challenging for me. So yeah, in a nutshell, uh, it's it's life that just turns, right? Like you, you got to go with the ebb and flow of life. And for me, I, I had to prioritize myself, which is kind of what led me to seeking a new opportunity. 
And I, I'm very grateful for that because I think that breaking point changed the course of my life, right? And if it wasn't for that, and then I wouldn't be in the position I am today, which is a much healthier, a much happier, <laughs> a much more balanced Alyssa. Love hearing that. We're going to rewind it back because a lot of things there. TFA, yeah. hello, proud TFA core member. I don't care. People say whatever they want to say about TFA. Um, I drink the TFA Kool-Aid. I love Teach for America. I love the experience. That's me. That's my truth. That's my story. So proud Teach for America core member. Um, so I literally did not know that about you. I get hyped anytime I meet a former TFA person. Um, what year were, were you in the core? 2012. Okay. So I'm 2013 Houston. So um, first right <laughs> what'd you say? We were right there then together. Yeah. So um, <laughs> once upon a time, I tried to work for TFA too. That didn't happen. Um, <laughs> that, that was going to be my ticket out of teaching. I was like, I'm going to go work for TFA. They were like, immediately, no. No, I'm just kidding. That just wasn't a part of my path. And that's totally cool. I still support them. Um, anywho, so you were first gen. Um, and then you talked about how basically your placement school was in a public school in Prince George's County. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, when you made the pivot from the public school, I'm guessing this was after your two-year commitment or how long were you at the public school? Yeah. So I stayed uh, for my two-year commitment and I still wanted to be a teacher and I knew like, you know, I'm not done with teaching. And so what was important to me though, was I needed to find a school culture that would support my growth. And as you know, like that is so critical, right? If you don't have the support system or if the school doesn't have structure or any sort of organization, it makes your life, you know, a living hell, really. It was not a fun experience. I love my students, but the lack of support and the lack of structure really drove me to a point where, again, I was like, I just can't do it here. I want to teach. I just can't do it at the school. So that's what led me to the charter school in Brooklyn, which was a you know very complete opposite experience where there was a school culture and it was very, you know, organized and highly, you know, they, you know, ran a really tight ship, but there are two extremes. And I found that neither one of them works, right? It's like, if you are too rigid and you are too extreme in the, in the expectations that you have with your students in terms of the way they breathe and walk down their hallway, you know, it, it can, it just leads to burnout for teachers. And it also leads to students burning out. And I just, I felt like I couldn't be a part of that system anymore. It just wasn't the place for me. Oh yeah. There's a lot of, um, charters I know up there in New York that I can already, I'm like, oh, I bet it was here or here. I have two distinct ones in my mind. Um, I'm working for a charter right now. So uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Maybe once the recording ends, I'll <laughs> say something. But yeah. you, So you went to the Brooklyn charter. Did you also do six ELA there? Yeah. So um, my first two years in the core, I was actually seventh and eighth grade teacher. And then Last four years at the Brooklyn Charter, it was sixth grade ELA. And I, I always call myself a sixth grade ELA because that was the majority of the years that I taught. And truly, that was my favorite year that I um, taught. Seventh and eighth grade was fun, but sixth grade was at my absolute favorite. So, um, yeah, it was all middle school ELA. Okay. So I taught sixth grade math. Like I told you, I finished teaching in, or quit teaching after June 2021. So last year, I was sixth grade math. So, Sixth grade, 
Mm, I spent most of my time in elementary, third, fourth, fifth. So I love that so much. I really, fifth grade was my, probably my sweet spot, fourth, fifth. Mm -hmm. So I, honestly, comparing that to sixth grade, I'm kind of like, eh, I'm not really interested in y'all. <laughs> but I'm glad I had that experience. So, okay, you taught ELA. Um, you already have talked about kind of painting the picture for what those types of school environments look like. You specifically talked about, too, with the culture of the school, which is something that's super, super critical. And so I want to know, like, when did you know at like what point of that journey from like TFA placed you in that placement school year one all the way up until that sixth year? Where was that initial thought of thinking about wanting to quit? I don't think this is going to be for me long term. Yeah, so I would say it was the last year of my teaching um, career was when I had those thoughts, you know, is this really for me? And it was because I, you know, as I mentioned, I took on so many roles at that school and you don't get paid extra to do any of that. It's You do it because of the goodness of your heart. You do it because you see a need and you want to do good, right? And you want to make change and you want to impact your kids. You want to provide them the best experience, you know, that they can have at that middle school. And that's what I did. But at what cost? It was my mental health. It was my physical health. And I came to a point where I physically actually like was very ill. And so I, you know, fatigue, I had other health issues that I won't get into, but long story short, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. Physically, my body actually gave out. And so by the end of my sixth year, I knew that I had to make a change. Um, and what inspired me was the summer going into my last year of teaching. That was the first summer I had taken and not done summer school every other summer i had committed myself to mentoring new teachers some internship at a at, you know school supporting them for summer school or um we did you know there was a summer academy that i used to do and that was the first summer that i actually took for myself and i realized oh my goodness i'm missing out on life like i'm literally not living all i'm doing is working all i'm doing is you know just just breaking myself down. And I'm like, for what? Like, it's not like this pay is, you know, like I'm not getting paid extra for any of this. And that summer gave me a lot of clarity. And that's also the same summer that I started my blog and I started social media because I decided I needed to do something for me and I needed an outlet and I needed a hobby. Um, and so that was a really critical summer for me. Not only did I start my blog, but I visited my brother who is a software engineer at a tech company up in the Bay Area and he showed me his office and he said, this is where I work. And it's true. When you hear about all those tech stereotypes, it was that ping pong tables, t beer on tap, unlimited snacks and lunch every day. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you live this life and I'm over here breaking my back at school at 6.30 a.m. and you roll into your office at 10 a.m. And this is your life. And when he showed me that, I realized there's another world out there where I don't have to be this stressed, where maybe I could still do something that I love. And I still am, you know, a part of that mission of giving back to students in my community that I love and want to serve. But maybe I don't have to risk my health and maybe I don't have to suffer my mental health, right? Like maybe those things can actually be thriving and I can do something that I still feel really passionate about. And because 
of that visit, I then opened my eyes to the world of tech and I said, I, I'm going to do this. And I, I remember telling myself, like, I want to be in this position where I have flexibility. I don't really need the beer on tap. I don't need, <laughs> like, that's not what I wanted. I just wanted like flexibility to like start my day, not stressed and start my day at an hour that was like normal, like a nine, right? Like when normal people work and not get to school at 6.30 a.m. because that's what I was doing. Different roles in tech. He's like, oh, you don't need to be technical. Did you know that you know a technical writer? And he or he just like showed me different jobs. He's like, yeah, there's people who are in sales. There's people who are in the marketing team. Um, you know, you don't have to be a software engineer. And it was kind of that that sparked it. And then throughout the year, I didn't really like look too hard. But it was towards the last few months of my teaching career that I started putting my energy back into it because I knew I wasn't going to come back to the school. So long story short, my brother inspired me. Um, and at the time, like, I didn't really hear a lot about teachers moving into tech. I didn't know that there was a space for us. Um, but once I started my research and I started really diving into the world of tech and, and trying to understand, you know, the different roles, that's when I discovered ed tech. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a whole new world that I never knew existed, but I know this is for me and I want to be in it. I'm literally like, okay, so um, you mentioned about, you know, seeing this experience of your brother living this lifestyle and you're just kind of like, oh, I didn't even know that that was available to me. So it kind of like just exposed you to opportunities that you could have. And then you shared about, okay, there's so many different, well, I guess I will put it as non-technical roles that you can pivot into within the tech space. So there are a lot. I was just looking up that because I told you a little bit before we started recording that so many people have been interested in learning about how they can pivot into ed tech. I did not know all the many different roles that existed. And so what were the ones that you were kind of considering and exploring? And then how did you end up selecting this pathway of customer um, success and that client success as you were talking about? Yeah. So when I was doing my research, I really focused my energy at first on roles in the like training department. So every corporate company has their in-house trainers. They have people who actually run in-house PD essentially, right? For their company. And so one of my friends, um, he was not a teacher, but he worked at the school that I worked with and at, at, I should say in Brooklyn, and he joined um, a tech company. Um, and he said, you know, I just went through an onboarding experience, you know, basically where they trained me on how to do my job. And he was like, did you know that like, you could do that for companies? Like you could be their PD facilitator and basically like train like people who are coming into the company, like corporate trainers, like you can do that. Like you should, you should look into it because you would be so amazing. Like we really need people like you who actually understand how to deliver engaging pr presentations, engage all learners. And he was like, please like look into it. So ultimately I started looking first at, it was like learning and development roles. So, um, and I just looked all over, like all the tech companies, all the corporate companies, like learning and development. And the challenge that I was hitting was that because I didn't have like direct experience, a lot of companies were passing on my resume because they just saw like teacher. And like, while it's not necessarily unaligned, they were looking for people who had direct like corporate training experience, which in my eyes, like, I'm kind of like, well, I think you should 
branch out because that is a very, you know, like it's a very subset, like the subset of folks who do that. It's like, yeah, they may have experience, but I don't think they have the lens of like education, right? Like thinking about like, how do we actually meet the needs of all diverse learners? Like what are the different modalities of learning, right? It's not just a presentation. It could be different ways. So long story short, I was getting passed up on that, but um, I ended up getting an interview at Facebook at the time. It's now Meta um, because of a referral. And it was for a learning and development role where I would be essentially like part of the team that would onboard like new hires. And I made it all the way through to the final interview. They flew me up to Menlo Park. And I remember thinking, this is it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to nail this interview. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to break into tech and my life is going to be changed forever. And if you know anything about tech interviews, they are processes. It is weeks on weeks on weeks. So not only did I have to go through a first screening call with the HR recruiter, um, it was then a call with the hiring manager. It was then, um, you know, another call with another, you know, team member. Um, And then after those, then they ask you, okay, well, we want you to fly up here and do some sort of performance task. So then I had to fly up and it was like another committee of like six people that I'm interviewing with total, you know, and it's rounds and rounds of rounds. Just so you know, that onsite day is like, your they even throw at you, things like that. So this experience was draining. It was high pressure. I was like so stressed out because it was like my first big interview and I go through all that. And then they were like, we're, the team is undecided on you. Basically, we want you to do one more interview. So after I flew up, I had to do another call with another team member or someone who was on a different team, but maybe a cross-functional partner and only to get a rejection. So I went through all of that to get a rejection. And when I say I was defeated and I was utterly just like, I can't believe I went through all that for a no offer. Um, I was defeated because at this time I had already, you know, invested so much in other applications and I kept getting rejected and rejected and rejected. And I want to remind my audience or your audience that it took me almost a year to get this job. So remember all of this is happening in a span of like over a year, right? Uh, the, the Facebook interview, the first one came early on, but like I'm getting rejection after rejection, after rejection, I'm getting first calls, getting to like second interviews getting rejected after that. So like there was a lot of rejection I faced. And so every time I was rejected, I just used it to get smarter. I was like, okay, there's something I'm doing that is not convincing these people that I can do this job. Even though I know I have those transferable skills, even though I have the hunger and desire to learn, there's something that is preventing me from getting this job. So I just continued to tailor my resume. I continued to nail down my story. I continued to work on my narrative Um, And I know you probably want to ask about that, but really what was critical here was understanding how to translate my experiences into non-teaching jargon because we are so wrapped up in our world, right? Of data, of setting assessment goals, of state test scores and all that. But it's like, and standards-based learning. People who are outside of tech do not care about that. And even if you're applying for an ed tech company, most of these people... Yes, most of the people I would say have some education experience, but a lot of the people that are hiring and in these leadership roles are not former teachers. So they don't actually have that. So you really need to be able to translate all of your accomplishments, your impact into um, you know, bite-sized pieces that non-teachers are going to understand 
and be wowed by. So good. Yes. I mean, my hand motions were going because I'm like, yes, yes, you're preaching on that. You're preaching on that. Okay. So I love that you are even talking about that, about transferring these skills into what translates to the other person on the side who is looking at your resume and determining whether or not they even want to give you an opportunity to hop on this screen with them or this, you know, mm -hmm. virtual interviewer get you flown out there for the performance task. So my question is, because this is one of the big questions, several people are wanting to know how exactly are they to tweak their resume to get the attention of, you know, the recruiter or whoever is the hiring manager, what do they need to do? So you talked about um, the importance of, you know, integrating those transferable skills, but can you um, share even more of what does a teacher, a sixth grade ELA teacher who's like, Oh gosh, I'm not signing this contract for next year. I need to be in ed tech. What do they need to do to that resume? Absolutely. So you want to think of your experiences as an educator through the lens of like competencies, right? What are the skills you are possessing in each of those roles? So as a teacher, we know that classroom management is a skill. We can manage large groups of people, but that's not necessarily like, transferable, like classroom management, right? So turn that in, instead of classroom management, like turn that into like team management, right? So like you are able to manage large teams of people um, and in order to, you know, complete what was the goal. So like think of everything through like every bullet point needs to have a um, action verb, right? What you did and then your impact. So I always make sure that I start with like, a great action verb. So don't just say like, I'm trying to think of like a, a bad one, but I like, I'm thinking of, okay. So like good ones, right. You want to use, um, terms that are really going to capture like what you did. So I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like blanking right now, but I have a resource that I actually made on this. So hold on. I'm going to pull it up really quick. Yes. I was like, that is so good. Um, not working, but I want to share it because it's actually, super helpful in terms yeah. of like, wait, okay. So when you think about your classroom, right. Um, you might want to say something about like your test scores and how you, you might have impacted them. So you could say like strategized, right. As a, as a key verb, and then talk about how you strategized, um, and differentiated like lessons to suit diverse learning needs, ultimately improving state test scores by 20%, right? So like make sure that you're attaching some sort of number and metric to every bullet point. Um, and so this is gonna require you to go back to your work and really think like, okay, when I created these different lesson plans and targeted different student learning needs, like what was the impact it had? When you, as a um, former event planner for my school, Right. One thing that that was new was like I developed a new program at my school. Right. So like developed a parent and engagement team by creating monthly um, school events to increase parent communication, um, which led to and then I might have like a percentage. Right. A um, 
50% increase in parent turnout to parent teacher conferences or whatever. Right. So I'm, I am making sure that everything I did is quantified by a metric. And so that was what actually allowed me to take my experience and turn it into things that people would understand, right? Like in tech, they're really big on metrics and how you can quantify your impact. So you need to be able to transfer your teaching achievements, right? Into things that like tech people are gonna be like, oh, like, okay, great. So let me talk more about that. What were the steps you took to increase parent-teacher conference turnout by 50%? That is where you highlight your organization and your planning skills, right? Your project management skills. So that is, and that's what they would tease out, right? They would tell me about this, you know, what did you do here? And that's where you can talk about, right? You partnered with, so at the time, I didn't know that this was the term, right? But I would say, oh, I partnered with my parents. I partnered with other teachers at my school. I partnered with the front office. I partnered with my school leadership team, right? To make sure that we were all aligned on this plan, that we were collecting all the, um, you know, parent uh, permission slips and all that, right? Like that's the stuff that we do at schools. But what you want to turn that into is partnered with cross-functional team members to execute, um, you know, whatever project it, it is, which led to the 50% increase, right? So cross-functional partnerships is something that I had to learn, like through my research was the key term in tech. And that term shows people that you worked with different teams to make something happen, right? We do that every day as teachers. We work with our parents. We work with our other staff and team members. We work with um, our school leadership team, right? We may work with outside folks, vendors to make things happen, but really in tech, they want to just know it's cross-functional partnerships, right? Who are you working with internally to create change or impact your school? So like, those are the things that I had to learn and pick up on the way. Like I didn't know how to talk about that until I started getting into interviews and they were using these terms and I had to quickly adjust the way that I was speaking to match that. So, um, again, a whole year worth of job searching, it helped me shape the way that I talked in my interviews. And if it hadn't been for all of those opportunities that led to rejections, I wouldn't have landed my dream job in ed tech. And that's the case. That's the truth because it did take me almost a year, but it was the last company and my dream company that I wanted to work with that I interviewed with that ultimately I actually felt finally ready for because it took me about, you know, 10 months of rejections before that to understand how to speak the language. And so I share that because there is a learning curve. And as much as I want to be able to say that anyone can join tech, it's not anyone. It's anyone with the desire to learn, anyone with the resilience, right? To know that you are going to have doors closed on you but take those closed doors and learn from it because that's what I had to do because I, you know, I didn't know that I had to talk like that until I got into those interviews and I started explaining what I was doing and they were impressed, but they were like, okay, but like, you're, you're a great teacher, but I don't, I don't know how this really fits into my, my company. Right. And so I had to start learning the language. And I'm going to talk about how I started this program at my school, how I had to partner with um, cross-functional team members, right. In order to execute this project. So I say that to share, like, you know, there is a language that you kind of have to learn. And unfortunately I don't think there's like one stop resource right now that I like went to online. It was more of like, 
I just interviewed people who were in tech. I asked my brother, right? I asked my friends who were in tech. I um, went through a bunch of interviews. I Googled things, right? It was a lot of just like hungry learning on my part that ultimately helped me get to where I was or where I am today. I love that. Um, that is such good information what you were sharing about how to tailor resumes. And so few things for people who are listening, you know, we are pulling out the core competencies. And I love that you said that because when I was going through my principal certification, they were always talking about core competencies, core competencies. This is what you need to have to be effective, you know, school leader, da, da, da. And so that really resonated with me, that terminology. But then you also mentioned about the importance of when you are formatting your resume, every bullet point needs to have an action verb, what you did and what was the impact. Yes. Because a lot of people just putting on their created lesson plans. Who cares? What was the impact on that? What kind of results did those lesson plans get you, right? Um, and being able to quantify those metrics. Created lesson plans that led to blank, blank, blank return on investment. But then take it a step further. You have to be able to integrate the tech, you know, industry language into the resume. So, you know, a lot of people say when you're looking at the, re- uh, the job posting, kind of taking those like, keywords essentially in being able to nicely integrate it where it makes good sense in certain parts of your resume so it kind of pulls up and you know what they call that ATS so to speak so um this is very good information and so I'm very curious to hear so you had mentioned summer before you started the blog and Basically, you said it took you a whole year. So basically throughout that whole entire last year was when you were actively applying for tech positions. Um, So my timeline was the end of my sixth year of teaching. That's when I started the job search. Okay. And it wasn't until, so I left the classroom and I was unemployed. So I did not have a job lined up. Okay. It took me an additional 10 months after I left the classroom to land the job. So it was almost a year because I started, you know, a couple months before I left teaching. Right. So it honestly took me pretty much a year to find a job. Um, and I was jobless and unemployed for many months after I left the classroom. But I think, you know, for me, it was intentional. Like I needed to work on my mental health and my physical health. So I kind of took a time just to like work on myself. I moved back to California and I really just tried to like put my energy into healing. And honestly, because I don't think people talk about the trauma that teachers can face in the classroom, right? Like there is real traumas that we can face, um, especially in in settings that are very high stakes, right? Like the zero tolerance policies. And we talk about the impact that it might have on our students and why they're, those schools are actually doing more harm to kids than helping. But we don't talk about the impact it has on teachers. And for me, like that was a huge part of my process of leaving the classroom was healing. And so um, it was not, it was about 10 months after I left the classroom that I landed my dream job at an ed tech company. So um, I share that because I think that timeline is important for people to know is that it does take time and it is hard to job search while you're still teaching because it is such a full-time job. Like I didn't have the capacity while I was teaching to throw myself into learning a new industry. So I did intentionally 
like leave the classroom and took that time where I was not working to throw myself into learning tech and learning the new roles, learning the language, learning key terms, right? And so I think like for folks who are looking to make the leap, like give yourself some grace and give yourself some ramp up period to learn that and and don't expect it to happen overnight because while some people are very lucky and you know can get that job immediately after or while they're still in the classroom for me it did not work out that way and so i just want to share my truth and my reality because i think a lot of times people think it will happen immediately right it happen as soon as they start looking and personally it just it doesn't always happen that way 100%. And one of the questions that we receive from um, a member on our TikTok page was, what type of education do you feel someone needs to have to be successful in ed tech? Great question. It depends on what part of ed tech you want to join. So if you are joining, let's say, customer success, you do not need any certifications. You do not need to take courses what you need to have are, again, certain strong competencies, right? So here's what you need to be successful in customer success. And I'm speaking from this angle because that's the industry that I'm in. Um, really strong client-facing skills. And as most teachers do, right, you are able to build relationships fast, build re relationships that are genuine and authentic. That is a big part of what I do, right, is building trust with my clients. And I do that, right, not just through my personality and all those things, but it is also like being able to execute and being someone who is um, very able to be strategic in this role, right? Because a lot of the work is working with your client, understanding their goals and developing a plan so that way their goals are aligned to the product that they have purchased from you, right? So especially in ed tech, right, there is a product that we're selling. I have to work with my clients to understand what's their goal. How does my product solve their goal? And then from there, that is where I execute, right? I'm creating uh, resources. I'm creating toolkits. I'm creating training opportunities for their teachers to um, understand how to use the product, right, in, in specific needs. So a lot of what I do is is strategy, right? It's like working with your client to identify a strategy so that they can be successful with your product. So client facing skills, um, great project management skills, because a lot of times you will have a large book of business, which means, you know, I, in my former role, I had a, over a hundred accounts that I was a man, managing. So if you, if, as you can imagine, if you have a hundred accounts, that's a hundred diff different touch points with clients that you have. And every single day brings something new because one client might have an issue, then another client has an issue, and then another client's got a different issue. So you gotta be able to manage and project manage really effectively. So organization is huge, and a lot of us teachers are highly organized. So this is why it's a really great role for former teachers. If uh, you're organized, you are very, you love building client relationships, uh, you have strong project management skills, you're able to work with cross-functional partners. So a lot of the internal teams that you have to convey your client issues to, right? The product team, engineering, data team, sales, marketing. I work with all of those people in my company. And to be an effective customer success manager, you need to be able to communicate your clients' issues to all of those cross-functional partners in a way that makes them understand the importance of those issues and why they need to act on them. Because at the end of the day, we are our client's advocate. 
we advocate for the things, the issues that they're having, right? If there's a product and there's a, there's a bug that's in our product, I have to flag that for our product team, put that through the proper channels, escalate it and make sure that there are eyes on it and that we have some sort of resolution, right? So there is, and that's the cross-functional piece, right? Being able to work with a lot of different internal stakeholders and be able to communicate those issues in a way that, you know, marketing needs to understand, that product needs to understand, that engineering needs to understand. So if you're a strong communicator, you have great project management skills, you are highly organized and you love being client facing, customer success is definitely a place that you could thrive and succeed in. But again, if you want to go into project management, because there's project managers at every corporate company, but especially in EdTech, we have project managers, you might need a project management certification, right? And you could do that. I think like Google offers like courses on that. So, or, you know, you could take some sort of project management project management certification online that will help you, right? You will need those things if you want to shift into an arena like that. Some people want to get into, um, you know, to be a product manager. Those things require more technical skills and likely certifications. So you'll have to do the research on what those entail, but there are roles that don't require certifications. And for me, the way that I got in was I looked for, again, those training roles. So my first role at an ed tech company was actually basically I was I was their corporate PD trainer. Like I would travel around the U.S. and 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 do on-site PD for districts, but then also do virtual PD. So I was basically the product expert. I traveled around the U.S. It was the best job coming out of the classroom. Like I literally got to I went to Hawaii <laughs> on the company's card. Like they literally sent me to Hawaii to do a training. And that's when I, like. I, I mean, this was pre-pandemic and I loved it. So when I found this role, I was like, this is meant for me because all I was doing was meeting teachers across the U.S., traveling and getting paid to tell them how to use this product and meet with them. But also it's more than just like training, right? It was like building relationships. It was making sure that these teachers knew that there was somebody behind this product that cared about what they did with their students. And that was me, right? I, I got to be that touch point for them. And so I really took it seriously. And that was my first role before I got into customer success. Um, my company ultimately consolidated the team that I was on and turned us into the customer success team. And that's how I pivoted into CS. But um, I would say if you are looking to get into an ed tech company, almost every ed tech company is going to have a training team. So a team that leads PD, I would look into that because that's probably one of the easiest pathways to get in. Um, if you're also, you know, looking into ed tech, there are curriculum and content people. If you are a nerd about your content and you want to develop content for a product, go into the content realm. There's always like openings on the content team, um, curriculum development, those type of roles. So those are the non-technical roles that you can definitely apply for that I think teaching teachers would be the most sought out for. Um, and then again, once you're in, it's a little bit easier to move once you're in. So what I've had people who come into the company, they start out as a trainer and then like, I actually want to jump into customer success. They talk to their manager, they develop a plan, and then they jump into the customer success side. So it's not impossible to cross over. But I would say find the roles that probably are most suited to your skill sets right out the classroom, such as training um, or the curriculum side. And then once you're in, you can kind of figure out how to move from there. 
That is really good information because one person had a question about the salaries with the varied roles. So as we were talking about earlier, you know, there's many different non-tech roles that you could pivot into within the tech space. So can you walk us through a little bit of what the salary bands look like um, for somebody who would be a teacher, you know, trying to leave the classroom and entering into ed tech? One specifically wants to know, is it possible for me to make 60K? One of our um, audience members commented that. Oh my gosh. And I, I feel so like privileged, right. To be in a position where I'm not struggling like I was as a teacher, right. Because the teacher paycheck was not good. Like I start, I'll just be honest. I made 45 K as a teacher, right. And it was like, not enough to sustain a life. It really wasn't. And then when I joined the charter school, the pay was a lot better. And after I got my master's pay was even better, but still was lower, right. Than what I'm making in tech. And I will say in tech, it depends on the role and it depends on where you live, because I think companies do kind of regionally decide, right. Like salaries, like I live in California. So my cost of living is a lot higher than somebody, let's say in Ohio. Right. So I I think it's all relative to where you live. And I don't want to just say, Oh, I make this amount of money and this is what you can too, because it definitely um, depends on where you live and your role. Customer success can be very lucrative. I will tell you that because if you're really good at what you do, it's very easy to move up in the ranks. So I started off in customer success. This is my second year. I landed a senior role within months of being in customer success. So I was poached by my current company to fill a senior level role for the company. And that salary bump was huge for me. It brought me into the six-figure realm. I had never made six figures in my life. And within months of joining customer success, because I had the skill set they were looking for, former educator, I worked with large districts. Uh, I had large, uh, a lot of experience with large-scale implementation with a product for large districts. They wanted me to fill this strategic role for their company. And that's where I got into the six-figure realm as a base salary. In customer success, you can earn bonus money on a quarterly basis. And what that um, allows you to do, because you have a book of business, right? You have accounts that you need to renew. If you renew and you hit your goals for renewal, you hit X amount of dollars you renewed in that quarter, there's a bonus payout. So there's like basically commission that you're earning based off of the renewals that you're bringing in for the company. So again, as a teacher, Never in my wildest dreams that I ever expect bonus, right? That's on top of your base salary. So customer success can be very lucrative. And most of the roles that I've seen out there start at 75K, or at least in California. So um, in California, starting like at a customer success role is, I've not seen a role lower than 75K. And that's just me looking. So that do with that information what you will, but I will tell you right now, customer success is booming. They're looking for people who have all of those skills that I mentioned before and former teachers have that. So if you have the desire to learn and you are hungry and you aren't afraid of change and you, and you show that in your interview that you're willing to learn, people will hire you because a lot of those things you can teach, right? You can teach somebody how to use the product. You can teach somebody the internal tools that you need, 
but you can't teach somebody like customer facing skills. You can't teach somebody project management, organization, you know, how to work with different groups of people. Those things you either have or you don't. And if you have that because you're a former teacher and you know your skills, you need to lean into that. And I will say with customer success, it is a great industry to be in because one, the base salary is great, but then you have the potential to earn bonus money, which is the cherry on top, right? So that's why I'm a huge proponent of customer success for former teachers, because I think it's a very nice place to be in terms of our skill sets and, and the work that we do every day. And what would you say a typical day looks like for you as a um, senior customer success manager and how many people do you manage? Yeah. So um, personally, I would say my day-to-day -day is very different. It depends on also the season, right? If it's back to school season, I'm probably on calls all day working with internal partners to get, you know, training planned, um, aligning with district leaders on their initiatives, um, you know, planning inter with internal stakeholders, marketing team, right? How are we going to market and roll out this initiative and working with um, our content team to learn about the different new product offerings so that I can go to, you know, my clients and tell them about it. So um, my day-to-day -day is very different. It's a lot of internal meetings, a mix of internal, a mix of external, and then also like projects that I'll be working on. So, you know, I'm working with, you know, a large district who wants to, you know, create some sort of reading challenge. I might be creating like the collateral for that or creating the framework of how the reading challenge might work. Then I'm working with like my marketing team, right, to create graphics and things like that. So there's a lot of like good mix there and um, or I'm doing data reviews or I'm going into the data. I'm creating reports for the district and essentially crafting a narrative right for them so they understand what this data means, um, figuring out a plan and an action step, right? Okay, so we see that the data is really great and the usage is great with your middle school teachers, but our elementary teachers aren't really using it. So let's let's talk about what we can do to support the usage there, right? So it's a strategy. It's it, it really depends on the day, but I love it because no day is the same, right? Every day is different for me. Um, there might be challenges with our product where there's a outage or some feature isn't working. And I'm getting all these emails from teachers saying, our teachers are having issues with this. So then it's like, sometimes I'm putting out fires with the product team and saying, hey, teachers are telling me that this is down. Like, can you help fix this? Right. So it's like every day is different. And um, that's what I love about my role, though. It's like I no day is the same, but I'm also like day. I'm working with teachers because teachers email me and they say, hey, I want to create a lesson on this, but I'm having issues with this part of your product. Can you help me? Great. Can you hop on a call today? Like I'll jump on a call, help troubleshoot this with you. So it's a lot of like, I work with teachers, I work with district leaders, I work with school leaders, right? All little, like every level of the district I'm really, I have touch points with. So it just depends on what the day brings. That's really nice. It's great for people who um, <laughs> love a spontaneous day. I don't think that would be for me because I am too type A in like structure and things repeated over and over. I, I love that. Surprises thrown in my day. I have learned from teaching and from being an administrator how to handle that flawlessly. But mm -hmm. if I could choose, I just want a day that's the same <laughs> every single day. That's what brings me so much peace of mind. And I'm glad you brought that up because tech is not like that. Okay. So if you like structure and you like 
routine and you want the same thing every day, I will tell you this right now, tech is probably not the place for you because especially if you're at a startup, there's going to be a lot of just crazy things happening. You're building as you're going. I've been lucky to join start, uh, companies that are not in their first few years of you know, their journey. So they've had processes built in. But even still, right, if a company's been around for, let's say, six years, there's still so many things like they're figuring out. And like, even in my day to day right now, like there are answers that we don't have. And so I have to figure that out, right? Like I have to be a part of that solution driving team. And so if you're not into that and you don't like the unknown and you don't like uncertainty, that tech might not be the place for you. And I want to call that out because ed tech is very like ambiguous. Like my role that I'm in, it was like the first role they had ever built out. There had nobody who had ever done this role before. So it was like, we're hiring you because we need you to actually solve this problem for our company. Right. And because I, that's what I love. I'm like, yes, I love a good challenge. I love figuring this out. I took it. Right. But like, that's not for everybody. So I just like want to be very honest with people. Like, it's not this like cushy day to day. Like I just do the same thing every day. No, 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 no. I'm on my, I'm on my toes in my, you know, every single day. I'm like, what's, what's in my inbox today? What do I got to solve today? So it's, it is a very, um, but I love that, right? It's a very like, there's just new challenges that I have every single day. So, um, and I love being a part of that, like solutions you know, problem solving team. Yes. And so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about your blog that you had um, started towards the end of you pretty much leaving out of the classroom. You mentioned how you started a blog as something for you because you had spent all of your time pretty much serving and giving, giving, giving to school and your role and your multiple roles rather at your school campus. And then you started your blog. So would love to know a little bit about your blog. Um, for those who haven't seen it yet, it of course will be linked in the show notes for you to access, but tell us a little bit about that. Um, what do you focus on? What kind of content is there? Yeah. So, um, my blog actually currently is not active and that's because I'm trying to relaunch it and rebrand. It's, it's pretty old. And so I was like, you know, it, it needs some life. It needs a, a little facelift. So right now it's not accessible, but I'm active on Instagram at always Alyssa Marie. And then also I have two TikTok accounts. So one is edtech underscore Alyssa, which is, I think how you found me, but then I also have a another TikTok account called Always Alyssa Marie. And that's my main like social media account is the handle Always Alyssa Marie. And that's what I started in 2017. Um, and essentially, you know, it was really just a space for me to be creative with fashion. And so most of it is fashion centered where I share um, petite and mid-sized fashion ideas. And I share really just like my journey in life, right? I would, I, you know, I shared my transition from the classroom into tech with my audience. Like they knew I was unemployed for like that 10 months and I was job searching and like they, I took them through that journey. Um, I share my journey into like motherhood. I share my journey into just like self-love, right? And like growth. And I think like truly it's just a space for me to connect with other like-minded folks, many women in particular who see something in me, right? Whether it be like, oh, I really 
finally see my body type represented in your fashion content. Or um, I also am a teacher and I want to make the move. Or I'm a mom too and I'm struggling to figure out how to love myself or whatever. So I would say it's a little bit about everything, right? It, but mostly it is fashion content there. And um, I just love it as a space to, I think, just kind of share what each chapter of life brings for me because every year that I've, you know, been blogging, like my life has looked very different. You know, I started it when I was living in New York in Brooklyn and then now I'm here in California. So over the years, it's just kind of evolved into like a digital diary of where I am in my life. And, you know, every season brings different challenges and, and different experiences. And so I really love that I have this creative outlet where I can share that with my audience, but also, you know, um, been able to, monetize a little bit too with my my social media accounts and do you know brand collaborations which has been really really fun as well so it's just a cool outlet i think to do outside of your nine to five which i know many of us um are doing nowadays anyways at what point did you start getting um brand inquiries to kind of be an influencer I would say it really started taking off in the last year um and that's when i saw the most growth through TikTok at Always Alyssa Marie. Once I started building an audience on Always Alyssa Marie at on TikTok, um, I would say my brand collaborations have been a lot more successful in being paid. But I started monetizing early on, like um, at 1,200 followers on Instagram, I landed my first paid brand deal. So I've been landing like small paid brand deals um, since my first year. But my last year was my most successful year in terms of paid brand deals. What has been one of your favorite brands to work with? My favorite brand to work with that I still pinch myself to this day was Madewell. Um, I did a denim campaign with them on TikTok. And um, that was a dream because Madewell jeans are my favorite. And I would talk about, I talk about them all the time on my TikTok. And I think that's how they found me. And so... I was able to partner with them on a fall denim launch last year, which was just a dream. So have you pitched any brands or more so they're inbound where they just come to you in your inbox? Um, a lot of times they will just come to me. So I actually, I've only done one pitch email and they did not, um, nothing came out of it. They just said, thank you for your email. <laughs> they're like at this time where, you know, I don't see a, a collaboration that is a good fit, but I was like, that's fine. Um, so I haven't had any success with pitching, but I have, you know, quite a few brands reach out to me via email. And that's generally how I get my brand deals. So you ended up doing a workshop recently, right, for micro influencers or people who are interested. Tell us a little bit about that. And are you offering any more? Thank you. Yeah. So um, I specifically launched a micro influencer like webinar um, for folks who wanted to start you know, doing social media and started wanting to become a micro influencer. Um, and it was great. We had about 35 registrants, which was awesome because I, I wanted to keep it small, but we ended up doing like two sessions to break it up to make sure that like we could have enough um, opportunity for people to, to talk and stuff like that. And it was an amazing opportunity just to connect with other folks who want to break into social media, are unsure of how things work. Um, but really it was like a getting started session for anyone who wanted to 
start. Um, and so, yeah, I do share a lot of micro influencer tips as well on my page at always Alyssa Marie. So if that's something that interests you, definitely, you know, keep up there. Cause I, I do weekly Q and A's and my stories and I answer questions there and, um, definitely try and create content that helps other micro influencers be successful. Love that. Well, thank you so much, Alyssa, for everything that you have shared with us from ed tech all the way to your blog and how you've been able to partner with brands. I would love to have you share where can the listeners connect with you online, all the spots. Yeah. So um, as of now, I'm mostly active on Instagram at always Alyssa Marie. And then on TikTok as well, the same handle, always Alyssa Marie. Um, I am trying to be more active on my ed tech account on TikTok, but again, it is, it's a lot of labor of love, right? And so it's kind of hard to do both, but I, um, do try and post there as well. So on the ed tech account, it's ed tech underscore Alyssa. And that's where I've been sharing more of my ed tech advice, but I also share a lot of ed tech stuff on my Instagram and my stories because I get a lot of DMs. And so I do a lot on my stories on Instagram at always a listen Marie. And that's all linked. Um, it's also in my bio on the EdTech account. So if you find me there, you can also find my Instagram account on my TikTok. Thank you for listening to the Teachers Who Quit podcast. Keep listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe and leave us a review to get a shout out on our socials. And remember to shamelessly choose you.